Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from the back of an 86 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. This episode of the Nightbird Radio Podcast was brought to you by me. If you'd like to support the show and hear your name or a cryptic message in lieu of your name read at the top of the next episode, head to nightbirdpodcast.com and navigate to the Support the Show page. And remember to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to your podcasts and give me a five-star rating. That helps a lot. I'm also on Instagram at Nightbird Podcast, on YouTube at Nightbird Podcast, and on Telegram at t.me slash nightbirdradio. And welcome back, Nightbirds. It's great to have you back, and it's great to be back. This week, I was rejoined by Noah. We talked about high strangeness in the city versus the country, the effect of belief on paranormal phenomenon, the effect of randomness on enchantability, making room for spirit, the universality and importance of ritual, the wisdom of the dead, land spirits and the land as ancestor, spiritual ecology, and so much more. But without further introduction, let's get to the conversation. Noah, welcome back to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, yeah, back. so yeah, I I um I wanted to do this topic of uh, talking about. I don't even know how to summarize it. Talking about like high strangeness and the city versus uh, the country and, and maybe even like the present versus the past, because I get this sense that there's been a big shift in the amount of high strangeness that people experience. Cause if you look at like medieval things, like they experience it all the time. And obviously like the explanation for that in modern era is, well, everyone born before 1900 was insane. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, that doesn't really jive with me. Cause like, no. I, I know that spirits exist and, and yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to, to get your thoughts on that too. I think there's a couple things going on there. Um, I think one is that the whole idea of like, um, and I can't remember what, like what, where this idea comes from. You might be able to, to fill me in. Uh, the idea that, uh, cultures that believe in magic, have stronger results when magic is done right yeah i think i'm actually not sure where that comes from but i yeah. think it came from some kind of anthropological study or something along those lines um i do remember one of my interests is the uh the late 19th century spiritual spiritualist movement and <clears throat> this isn't really talked about too often but there was actually a very strong trend of very uh talented physical mediums that were able to do uh pretty incredible things or reported to do pretty incredible things uh under very strict controls and they apparently like would even do like stage performances i guess you would call them and apparently like like part of the audience would come out saying that like that was the craziest thing they ever saw and part of them would come out saying that nothing happened 
which I find Ooh, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I think that is actually like probably a good cross section of what happens in any sort of um, high strangeness event, be it like a haunted house or an, uh, seeing lights in the sky or experiencing um, all the kind of things that can happen in the woods. You know, imagine being out there with your friends or, or in a house or something like that. And that's a pretty good cross section of like the the people that will be like, oh, this is something, and then the people that will be like, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I was. Um, I'm thinking back to all. So one of my um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this with you is uh, one of my favorite things to do is find like modern day penny dreadfuls on the internet. Like I scour Reddit, I scour Instagram, like I've pulled a bunch of stuff off 4chan's export and I would oh, bet yeah, like, like um like copy pastes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And um I'm sure like, like 75 to 80% of it is just BS. Like I, I maybe less than that, I don't know, but like I get the sense that I, I've kind of developed a um a kind of approach as to how i determine like whether online stories are real or not um or like actual paranormal activity or not and there's there's some really interesting like diamonds in the rough and one of my favorite things to read about is like stuff that happens in remote places Uh, and i I find that super interesting because it seems to be you know like someone could always argue it's like all made up or whatever but you know i've i've seen something move on its own uh so i know that that like there's a lot that's possible that isn't really, you know, doesn't really happen in the kind of public or official sphere. And so like, I, I wonder how much like your state of mind or your context or like, you know, what the intersection between all those things are. Yeah. And I think there's, and I just called it, realized that I called it copy paste, which is like such a boomer way to thing to call it. It's copy pastas <laughs> <laughs> or creepy pastas. <laughs> yeah. Is that one of them copy pastes? Uh, (laughs) um yeah i think okay so i definitely wouldn't mind going into some of those because there's like some really compelling ones um you know this is kind of where we get into myth territory where it's like okay maybe it's made up quote unquote made up or maybe like is that real but like the fact that it is an idea that exists in the psychosphere means to an animist that it is in some sense real like there is um it is a being within existence just by virtue of the fact that it is there and so i think especially when like something goes viral i think a good example of this was um uh that i shared a picture um in a group that we're in of like lightning striking the um the cristo redentor and mm-hmm. um it's like, okay, I'm sure that happens all the time, right? It's a big statue on a mountain in the sea. Like, I'm sure it happens all the time. But the fact that it went viral at this time says more than it just, than just the picture, right? Like, why did that kind of um, get sucked up into the psychosphere and kind of spun around? Mm-hmm. That's what I find interesting. So, did it happen, didn't it? Ah. I don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we were just, uh, this is a kind of a tangent, but I think we were just talking about how, like, as if you're involved in these realms and even if you're a complete fraud, like uh, Carlos Castaneda, 
um, you still come up with like insanely insightful things. And there's, it's almost yeah. like you kind of like plugged into something or like the well, act of like, that theater is bullshitting kind of channeling in a way. Right. Because it's like, mm-hmm. there's a very mercurial aspect to that. It's kind of like a game of wits. Uh, yeah. And, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, you go ahead. You're good. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I I wonder about that a lot when I'm I'm reading a lot of these. I can send you some links of where I get some of these things from if you want. But like when I read about a, a lot of these things, like there's some that are just like clearly like quote unquote fictional. Um, but the thing that came to mind for me is uh, Slenderman. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Yeah, and and that was we actually know the quote unquote like origin of that. Like we have the something awful forum posts that you know coined the term and all of this stuff, but there seems to be a, well, it's kind of the question of where thoughts come from in the first place. Like we, we don't select our thoughts when we start a sentence, we might not know how we're going to finish it. They just kind of show up and you just have to kind of trust the process. And um, in a, a living universe, in a, a living, a universe where a human being is, is more than just a single solitary ego, but actually is a, an ecosystem you know, those, those thoughts can come from a lot of different places and a lot of discernment is needed in, uh, in dealing with them. Yeah. And I think that's another really, like Slenderman is a really good example of like, it was almost like it was an idea whose time has come. It was like this archetype that was just kind of waiting to come out. And, you know, then of course you have the events of like those girls that like stabbed, the, I don't know if the girl actually even died, but they like stabbed their friend in the woods because mm-hmm. of the influence of this so it, you have this what is a myth what is an urban myth or what, whatever you call these things reaching out and touching the world in a very um in a very real way and mm-hmm. i can only see like i feel like that's only going to happen more as we move into like weirder country here Absolutely. And it tends to, um, this might be part of a conversation on like city versus rural, but I, I noticed that it tends to come from the fringes. Like it, it's the people that are are pushed aside and that that's very like trickster in the paranormal type territory, but it, um, that's where new mythologies come from. That's where, you know, the, all the mythology around like UFO stuff has basically no official sanction on it. It, it was, developed as as a kind of like you know print culture first and now internet culture but you know one of the really big abductions abduction cases was betty and barney hill and uh i i would argue that they were fairly um marginal for their time and place and they were in a very remote area when it happened and i think there's even physical evidence for that case Mm, that's interesting to think about yeah, they and were I on the outskirts because it wasn't. They were interracial couple in what nineteen. Um, it's like fifty-five or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I wonder too, like, how much of this is um, due to like our culture or what our culture considers centered versus peripheral? Because I, I think back to like ancient Egypt or Rome, and in Rome you had like I don't know, like Roman emperors would. <laughs> like spend the night in temples to get visions from their gods so like that is about as centered as you can get in that culture like an emperor like doing these rites and 
And so I'm not sure it has to do with like center versus periphery in itself, but maybe like our center versus our periphery. Well, maybe it's a function of or a symptom of what happens when you push these things out of the center completely. Mm -hmm. um, And they kind of like agglomerate around the periphery and condense to the point where they come through. Uh, they all kind of crash through. Yeah, and I was... Those channels aren't, um, you know, like the the idea of the emperor doing that, well, that's like it existing at the center, like you said. Like if the emperor is the center of that society, then there's a channel where that is coming through at the center. But close all those channels, and then, you know, you got dragons on the outer territories. But go ahead with what you were about to say. Yeah, I was. Uh, no, that's a really good point, and it um, it's really interesting to be alive in this culture at this time because you get like this this welling up of phenomena that are real, but have no official way of interacting with it. And I think even like fifty years ago, uh, like the cat, like the Catholic Church, uh, you know, doesn't have the greatest methods of dealing with the invisible, but it has very powerful ones. Or I should say, it has it doesn't have the greatest like understanding of what the invisible is, in my opinion. But it has really powerful ways of dealing with it. And now we're at a point where basically people don't get these things from anything in their society. They don't get it from government, education, religion, and it's like completely peripheral. Um, but I was uh, what I the thought that came to mind for me was uh, I was I think I was listening to a podcast recently about how. The more locked into a routine you are, like the harder it is to have like high strange phenomenon or even to get magic to work. Yeah. You know, do you experience that? You know, I was thinking about this and like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's a part of my life and just kind of, I I have like a normal, normal amounts of like magical things that happen to me. Yeah. But I also feel like it's really hard to let the best thing or or let something spontaneous happen if there's no room for spontaneity. Like, I think there is a kind of spontaneous element to the magical realm or the spirit world or something like that. There's a a naturalness or maybe that's not the right word. But I was going to say that it seems to me in my experience, and I can only speak for my experience. That it's not so much about the rigidity of the schedule of my life because, like, sometimes if I can get that like good monastic style life going, where like this is when I do this, and this is when I do this, and this is when I do this, I can really get things popping. To me, what it really seems to be is more of like, am I putting myself in the place where it can happen? So, like, am I putting myself into the world? Am I putting myself mm-hmm. into like where things are being mixed up together? Um, that to me says more, and I guess there is a sense of, there is a sense of randomness and chaos rather than structure to say, like going to a party, like, I don't know what's going to happen at the party. Like I'm putting myself in a situation where like really anything could happen as opposed to, I probably know what's going to happen if I sit in my room and play video games. Like I'm going to sit in my room and play video games. That's not to say something can't happen, but yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? 
I think that's a really good way to look at it because I, I was tossing this idea back and forth for myself and I was like, you know, I need, I really need to be like more enchantable. And if I, I spend the night in my apartment and I don't, you know, I, I don't have any of that room for spontaneity. Like there's, there's, I'm not going out and looking for other beings. Like it's, it's really hard to have stuff to happen. Um, and like, even if it's the I, woods, like we were talking about, the woods is full of those possibilities. Yeah. Even, even just like wandering through the city to a place you haven't been before. That's a big uh, all sorts of things could happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think about how, yeah, there, there has to be a kind of like field of activity for it to take place. Like if you, you know, wake up and the first thing you do is look at your cell phone and then you hop onto the computer and you spend all day working. And then at the end of the day, you spend all night watching TV and then you go to bed again. Like there's really no room for spirit. Uh, yeah. Like if something, even if something was really trying to get your attention, that's a really hard um, thing to, to get behind beyond. <laughs> that's interesting that you mentioned this because it's, I have actually found like, okay. So when I first started doing like app based um, delivery gig work, I was like, Oh, this is going to be like really enchantable. It's not, mm -hmm. it's really it's not. not. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't find it to be so. Like, maybe some nights I could make more or like get a really good tip, but like, honestly, and I don't know why. Like, I think the fact that it's mediated through this uh, kind of this interface, it takes something from it. Like, I feel like it's much more enchantable to wait tables in person than it is to like deliver food in a car, like over an app. Especially really now you don't even like hardly ever see the person, you know? Yeah. You're just like, yeah, that's really interesting. I was, I was thinking about this in terms of uh, dating actually like a dating app or an algorithm. Like there seems to be something about computers that, and maybe this is connected to our like electronics networks. Um, but there seems to be something about computers that don't really allow for that spontaneity somehow. Like even the algorithms that are like, that try to like, you know, sort all this random data, they, computers aren't really good at randomness. Like they just don't do it really. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And I wonder if it like, if it has to do with like the actual fields as well. Um, if you're me, like, Hmm. Okay, because was, this, we could get back to the city conversation with this. Like, I feel like part of what makes the city different than the country in terms of spirit contact is like the actual amount of electricity and actual sound and noise and light um, that's kind of like filling the air. But now, mm -hmm. I do think, and this might be a tangent we can get into here in a bit, but I do think that. Um, they come through in other ways in the city, but um, what what were you gonna say? Yeah, I was I was thinking about this exact same thing over the last week, and I am I drive to St. Paul somewhat frequently, and that's that's a decently sized city, and sometimes I feel like the spirits of like the old thirties mobsters are just gonna walk around the corner, but there there does seem to be a big qualitative difference, and I I, rem I read the the book The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries, which is 
I think about a, a little over a century old. They're written by an American theosophist who went and collected stories from the uh, the Celtic nations about fairies. And there's some really astonishing stories in there. And it was really interesting to me that there was that amount of high strangeness that recently in a quote unquote Western society. And also that the people who told those stories, they said that if you wanted to get like fairy contact, you would go to the West of Ireland, which is like the like wildest place in Ireland. And you would like sleep in a cave on a beach for three days without having any kind of communication with another human being. And I thought that was really interesting because that um, that's before electricity. And I think that it was, that was around the time that electric lighting first started to, I think, be used in a lot of places. And I think there's a comment in the book about how electric lighting like stopped those stories or, or, or interrupted those experiences somehow. That's interesting. Well, it blocks the starlight for one thing, which you could look yeah. into. Like that could be a very real um, detriment. Um, yeah, and I, I think about how. Well, going back to like talking about like looking at screens all day versus like being open to things. Like I'd imagine that people in the past had a decent amount of time throughout their day where they would enter what we would call an altered state of consciousness. Like so much in our society is, is designed basically, I think maybe even intentionally to keep us in a certain like alpha or beta wave state. I don't, I don't know exactly which one it is, but I'd imagine there was a lot more variance throughout the day for somebody who didn't have a smartphone or didn't really have a screen. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, think, and then go ahead. Well, it seems to affect well, it affects us, but I, I really I think like you were saying, it affects the the spirits themselves too. I, I'm just like not quite sure how. Like there's definitely spirits in the city. Like I think the city itself could be a spirit on its own, but oh, certainly. There's there's a there's a difference there. Yeah, I think that um one interesting difference is that um I just think it's kind of like what's around gets used. So like when I was living in, um, I'm kind of in the suburbs now, but when I was like downtown, um, there was definitely a buzzing energy, especially in Atlanta. It's very like alive. And in the springtime, it's like that place is just covered in plants and it just like comes alive with life. Um, even the city. But, um, I would see synchronicities in graffiti and then like I feel like I encountered a lot of spirits through people. So like mm. there's a lot of people there so that's how it's going to come through, you know? And there were times when I was like was that even a person or was that like just a straight up spirit? But it doesn't really have to be the spirit like it, it, could, it could be a spirit riding someone for a second to give a message. And I think I have an interesting like kind of take on this like i think that people that pray are in some network where that stuff is able to come through them um in a more straightforward manner right so like if i 
am having this like message that needs to come to me if i'm around someone that prays a lot like the possibility for that to come to me through them is going to be higher because they can hear that voice and, and act on that impulse not to say that people that don't pray can't do it but i just think that it, it you're connected to the field in some way and i think that that can happen with um in a negative way too oh it totally can i um it makes me think back to patrick harper's books how nature maybe not the greatest word here but nature shows the face the face that you show back at you like or it shows what you show to it and it's it's shy or it um it responds to different attitudes yeah we kind and of um co-create it's like something we, that comes up for up. me is uh spirited away uh, i love it so much one of my top 10 favorite movies to be honest but i think about how um uh haku is banished from his home because a river was filled in and it makes me think that there's certain types of spirits that are not at home in around so much human activity yeah Actually, and they, had really... they present as malefic just like um just like that mud monster turned out to be like that river spirit once yeah. it was cleaned, right? Um, mm -hmm. And they were like afraid of it. And it was a terrifying thing and it was causing all this chaos. But it just it just needed like attention and love and to be taken care of to be able to be like that cool dragon again. I think that's yeah, and it makes a you lot think... of the time what's going on. And it makes me think of... Uh the i forget which sect of buddhism does this but when you're being troubled by a demon i think it's in china they do this like when you're troubled by a malefic spirit you treat it as if it is a god and then it'll start behaving like one. <laughs> oh, that's really cool yeah i think yeah i was like that's great, great tech yeah that's great tech for a lot of things i we're just talking about this actually um in the uh in the numenoth discord want to hang out with other night birds and soap heads for only $5 a month, you can gain access to the Polytechnic of the Numenauts, a private Discord server for artists, animists, and searchers that brings together the Nightbird Radio and Soapbox podcast communities. Just click the link I've provided in the show notes to get started. Now let's get back to the conversation. We were talking about this in the sense of like treating, um, treating your your suffering or like your um even your enemies or people that cause you pain or um difficulties treating them as gurus and teachers and the kind of perspective shift that comes with that um and i've experienced that in my life i mean i i do that with a lot of things i um i look at my addiction that way like it's a great it's been my greatest teacher it actually pushed me towards a spiritual path um, which is not where I was at the time, you know, and it like it gave me this ultimatum of like live live along spiritual lines or die, which can seem sound kind of rough, but it's like, well, it simplified things for me. It made it so that um the choice was pretty easy. <laughs> like I don't want to die. <laughs> yeah, I had I had a really similar experience and um it reminds me of uh Rilke's uh Don't Kill My Demons, you might kill my angels too. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, so and I, I think, think about 
No, go ahead. Um, oh, I was just thinking about like the the city and like what gets pushed out, and I, I wonder if if part of it is we've set up a society where uh, spirits are not a part of the inner life of most people. Like they are. Like I, I think that spirits are, and I think everything, everyone is a spirit, and I have you know a kind of ancestors and guides and stuff around them. But I don't think people give them almost any conscious thought and our society is is set up and organized in such a way that it doesn't you don't recall them at all like i think about japan and japan has shrines everywhere to various spirits and throughout the city and people will stop and pay their respects and if you ask them if they believe in them sometimes they'll say no and they'll just do the <laughs> the action anyway do it anyway yeah belief is it's neither here nor there <laughs> to me honestly yeah and i wonder if that comes from like we we have a culture with a religion that very strongly emphasizes orthodoxy correct belief uh, yeah. believe and you'll be like all this kind of stuff and that's well, not really it, that believing is the um the personal eschatological answer to it like you have mm -hmm. to believe in order to get it and um that really takes all the um a lot of the focus off the idea of like well what about doing things <laughs> like you don't have to yeah, and I, I kind of wonder if this is a double-edged sword that gave us like new thought and also like destroyed all of our relationship with our land spirits because it's this very, very strong emphasis on thinking and, and not relating or doing. or And the idea of belief as a kind of like salvific thing seems to be very much a like Christianity and Islam thing. Uh, even Judaism doesn't emphasize it all that much. And, and most cultures in the world seem to you know they disagree on a lot but they what they want to agree on is like what they're doing yeah. like i think about like in the roman empire like people had all sorts of different opinions on what the gods were but they all got together and did the same like festival honoring them it's yeah belief is a kind of like new thing <laughs> yeah because what i i what i do actually comes forth from what i know I think more so than what I believe in that sense. And, and so that's kind of where I come with the Gnostic stuff. Like, um, it is, it is the, it is the way to defeat ignorance. That may, may not be the best way to put it, but you know, like that knowing, um, is where it's at. I like the, um, I remember when Carl Jung visited, I think he was visiting the Hopi and they had a ritual that would make the sun rise in their cosmology. They were like participating in the rising of the sun. And a lot of their young people had stopped performing this ritual. And Carl Jung asked the elders, well, what will happen when nobody does this ritual anymore? And the elders said, the sun will no longer rise. And he understood them as saying that, not in the sense that they thought the sun would literally stop rising, but that in a certain like spiritual sense, it would stop. And there's a, a kind of reinforcing between action and 
knowledge or gnosis if you like they were saying like the act like reinforces the knowledge and the knowledge reinforces the act yeah that's really good i love that story um i've gotten some some gnosis too about animals in that way like their their rituals the things that they do um cause the seasons to change it's not like or like their co um coincident they're they're um they're the same event so like the squirrels doing their gathering um it actually is causing you know those that wheel to turn um that's that's super cool (laughs) and it's it's one of those things where it's like i like metaphors that are so like a poetic metaphor can't actually be disproved like you can't um you can't say it's not true because it's for one thing it's a metaphor but it's like um you know like it it's unassailable in a way um that's like when i know i'm getting that good download well it um it also puts you in a different frame than a a universe of like objects that crash into each other and that's all there is like instead we have like a a universe of like mutual receptivity and participation yeah that like and i think i have this kind of same idea about magic really it's that um it's almost like the ripples that go backwards in time from the event uh, are my magic or even preparation um but like magic specifically um like i'm not causing these things to happen these things are going to happen and therefore magic is done in anticipation of the events happening and maybe that's just like a good way to look at it i don't know but it seems to be effective it seems to me like ritual is like outside of time in some sense yeah Nightbirds, i hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far and there's more to come But first, I have to ask that you support the show. As I'm sure you've noticed, there are no commercials on this show. There are no paywalls. You get everything up front. For there to be free dialogue, I think it must remain uncaged by the interests of advertisers. But Nightbird Radio does cost time and money to make. And your support means I can spend less time delivering pizza and more time doing this. That's a win-win. So that's why Nightbird Radio is a value-for-value podcast. I hope you've found value in this show, but I can't and won't dictate how much. Only you can decide that. But what I can do is invite you to take that value, turn it into a number, and head to nightbirdpodcast.com, navigate to the support the show page, and donate. We're also listed on podcastindex.org, which means you're able to send Bitcoin via the Lightning Network using your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, which can be found at newpodcastapps.com. I also accept services and dry goods in trade. There are many forms in which value is stored, after all. Email me at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com for more information. Sponsors will get a special mention at the top of the show. Thank you for your generous support. I, I also think about how so many things that people don't think are rituals are. Oh, yeah. Talking about, like, cities, like, I wonder if you could make the argument that something like wall street is 
like a temple to some very hostile deities. Yeah, that's a temple to Mammon. And they ring the bell at the end of the day, and they all the everyone claps and all this kind of stuff. Like that's, yeah. that's ritual behavior. There's a ton of things like that. If rituals are participa- active, per- actively participating in these greater events, then what events are our rituals um, participating in? Like the the wider society, you know what I mean? Like what <laughs> what greater event is the ritual of getting up and the first thing you do, uh, looking at your phone? You know, but that wasn't a complete. It's, sentence, a, it's kind of. I mean, <laughs> well, it's frightening because it, it makes me think that uh, I feel like we live in a society that have, has lost almost any kind of spiritual defense against uh, that's these, a really good way to forces that I think are, and even Christianity, even like Protestant Christianity, even like the most like milk toast Protestant Christianity, like a couple decades ago is something. Um, yeah. Not that it's a, like I said, I think it's a perfect way of relating to the invisible, but we're down from that to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. At least you had the Holy spirit. Now I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really been to a church in a while. Maybe they're doing it. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> I'm not sure even most like priests or pastors believe in God anymore, to be honest. Right, like yeah. I'm not sure the Archbishop of Canterbury does. Um, that reminds me actually, I um, there's a, a cemetery near me that has a, a chapel on it. And the chapel has these beautiful stained glass. It was, it was built in a um, rather unusual architectural style. And, I went there one time and I was alone and I had the sense that the, the guardians of the graveyard were peering through these windows at me, like not in any kind of like directed way. They were just like looking at yeah, and they're checking, checking you out. It. And I, I thought about how we have so few ways for them to come through like spirits like that. Um, and I was on hollowed ground. I was in a sacred building where a lot of sacred activities had taken place. And it, it felt like good to be in there, like maybe not like celebratory, like their graveyard spirits, but, but like, but, it was like I was under their protection. But good in that deep sense of what good means, just like, um, mm-hmm. uh, that's interesting. So is, what, so what, okay. And I'll ask this is kind of a rhetorical question, but so what does, um, someone have to do when you don't think when they don't think you can hear them they have to scream or talk louder oh yeah that's why like they're screaming right now to be heard and uh so i think that is one thing that's um that cities do have um and you know i'm not saying they don't have any kind of spirits in other other ways too but they definitely have dead um they Mm -hmm. i mean a city really is just like a big charnel ground if you think about it and I used to work. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say like, um, the dead are there and they live side by side with the people that live in the cities. And, um, yeah, I just think there's interesting implications of ignoring them because they do demand to be heard, counted and named. I worked in a building, uh, a few years ago that had an empty floor on it and it was an older building and, 
I was talking to a, a custodian who is from uh, West Africa, and so a culture that recognizes the dead. And he said, "Oh yeah, when when floors are empty for that long, the dead will move in." <laughs> oh wow! I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. I like that a lot. And I, I remember some of those stories too that I, I like to read online. That apparently they're, um, and, you know, I, I don't know what to make of these, and I can't verify, I can't not verify, but there's definitely like a mythic truth to them that um, the people that get kind of brushed aside in urban life, like um, people have lost their homes, like people on the edge, like um, are in relation positively or negatively to these spirits that are around. Yeah, I um, one of the word the names I used to have for them was open sky people, because mm-hmm. like they would, like when I talk about people coming through with messages, a lot of the time it was them. Yeah, um, just like in the same way that, and this is like a spirit of place thing. Um, like in the same way that spirits of place in the woods come through in a certain way. Spirits of place in a city a lot of the time come through as people. And the thing is that if the spirits of place are not being related to, when they scream, it looks very, it can look very violent, I think. Like, this is another, like, another place where that neglect is going to come through in ways that appear malefic or appear dangerous or violent or um, ugly. But it's like these things demand our attention. And so it's, again, that idea of, like, look at the demon um, as a god, you know, like, and I think that we can do this. I think that this is something that's possible to be done and that, like, small groups of us are beginning to do this where this web can be formed where we begin relating to our rivers and to our uh, forests and to our cities and to our graveyards and like just all these areas um starting you know if we start making offerings to them and start just like saying hi when you drive over a river thank the river and see what happens uh, the worst thing that can happen is you look dumb, but like, whatever, who cares? And they're also kind of ancestors in a way, almost like hundred percent. Like the the blood of the Mississippi River quite literally is in me. Like, yeah, hundred um, percent. Have you have you heard the story of the the Oakland Buddha statue? No, but please tell me. I'll send you an article on this. It's fascinating. So. There was a particular street corner in Oakland, I think this is a few years ago, um, that was experiencing like a high amount of crime and like gang related activity and all this stuff. So uh, a Vietnamese man decided to put up a statue of a Buddha and people started leaving offerings at the Buddha statue. And so there were like wreaths and flowers all around this thing. And the crime rate plummeted like measurably like that that simple act of putting up that statue like uh and apparently someone tried to like remove the statue and wasn't able to and apparently the city tried to remove it as like a a religious icon on public land 
And that failed too because the, the neighborhood demanded that it stayed, even the people who weren't Buddhist. Um, and uh, I, I'll send you the article, and it's just amazing. But yeah, um, that's really cool. And I think about um, my um, my area has a a fairly large uh, population from Tibet, and I really like it when they put up the prayer flags just like uh who wouldn't yeah it's beautiful and i i think it 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 calls in good things it's like a a, a, just the simplest doorway for good things to come through yeah that sounds really cool i'd like to see that Um, and i wonder too oh go ahead no you continue i wonder too because even even europe and it's like catholic areas still has shrines around right uh like there's like saint shrines and all these things and we just don't have anything really i found uh, um a version of guadalupe shrine like up here and it's like i I was like really excited about it it's just cool to see you know what i mean everyone Mm -hmm. obviously brings candles um there's a lot of candles burning at it and um it's just not very common here um i do think that one of the ways that this expresses itself is when um when someone dies in an accident and then that shrine kind of forms in that place, um, Mm -hmm. this was, this is common everywhere, but in, in Phoenix, they get really big. They get like, they become, it looks, they become like shrines. And, um, I like to pray for those, you know, if you see the name or whatever, I like to just like pop off a, a, uh, a Deca, for them you know um just another way of like relating to place and saying to the dead like i see you i see you you are not forgotten it's amazing it's amazing too that when you put those things up people will leave offerings like even regardless of individual belief in a lot of cases it's just like the natural response to that it is a human behavior it is like what we do and i remember so that, uh, that's hopeful that it comes through you know we could do more and even in the strangest places like you put up a, i think i saw a picture of a statue that was put up to athena in a college and people started leaving offerings it's awesome <laughs> at the there's, statue there's a frog outside of my mom's house that my nephew loves and my nephew started like leaving one day like left some acorns and some little rocks he found in front of the frog. He's two years old. It's like, it is ingrained. It's, it's a human behavior. I used to do that when I was a kid. I, uh, I would take little things I would make to the forest and kind of, cause I assume that's where they were. And I would just kind of leave them out there. And, um, no one taught me to do that. I just did it. Right. And just, you just was knew. kind of aware yeah um i think that that's a really um just a some good gorilla ontology there you know that um i'd like to see more of i uh actually a, a relative of mine i'll be more vague here <laughs> than <Yeah. laughs> it, it might but a relative of mine uh, 
had a, a garden for the the spirits in the city and had like all these little pieces of set up and I forgot where she found it, but she she had like a set of like four things and then like found a fifth thing that like completed the set that was just like left at the house. Yeah, yeah, nice. That kind of stuff is great. It makes me think too, like a good country example of this is like the um what are they called? It's like um gifting gardens or uh, people do it for Sasquatch. They like designate an area where they will leave things for Sasquatch. And um that is just you're honoring a land spirit. Yes. And I, I've seen like little fairy houses in some state parks around here. If nice. you like keep your eye out for them. There's like little things that people will just do. <laughs> I'm trying to think of more stuff like that. Well, even even leaving things at a cemetery. Yeah. Oh man, there's um there's a cemetery near me that's like walking distance from here that is like and especially like you know it's a cemetery that's being worked when um you go there and you see coins at the front gate like okay some some people are here know what's going on and it's got like angel statues left at all different types of graves there's all kind of cool stuff but there's like a lot of things being left um and you can just feel the energy of the cemetery is just popping i frankly love cemeteries maybe that's like, like i do too i found it really um I found that them really reassuring actually during the lockdowns. Uh, yeah. I would actually go there and just to like be there and be with the ancestors. And it felt really good. Um, <laughs> I actually, I have a story about that too. I, um, you know, there's, there's been times in the last year that, um, you know, I've been very scared about the future. I think that's the case for everyone right now. And I, I went to an, a graveyard that my ancestors are buried at, and I, I was just kind of overcome. And I just like asked them, like, please, I need some help. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And like a, a couple weeks later, I got a check in the mail from my uncle who said he was distributing investments made by my grandparents to all of the grandchildren uh, and the letter said for the times ahead <laughs> wow uh they wow. they listen <laughs> they listen yes that's a really cool story thank you for sharing that yeah was, that's one of the, go ahead it was one of the most powerful things that's ever happened to me uh it's so easy to get in touch with them. Like I didn't do anything special. Like I brought them water, but I, I just talked to them. Yeah. And talking to them and bringing them water is all it takes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not like, and you can talk about this with, in terms of like the, um, the spiritualists or really, but like really in anything, you know, I think a lot of the time, um, in, especially in magical circles, there's all these like really complicated frameworks for like necromancy and calling in spirits. But like, I don't know. Maybe that's more for people. And there's some people who that's their, just their speed. They like doing that. But 
I don't find it necessary. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like maybe the the kind of like hyper ritualization is maybe like a good introduction to a spirit or like communicating with them, but or certain spirits you get for sure. A, but like the dead, it's just like they're humans. Just yeah, just ask. Yeah, just talk to them. And I think the only thing that keeps me from experiencing them is my self. I'm getting in my own way. They'll talk. And a lot of the time it's like, oh, was that me? Oh, no, that's just me. Well, then, you know, if if I called your phone number and you picked up and then I doubted who you were and I was like, who are you? Who are you? Um, what would you think the reaction would be? You wouldn't want to fucking talk to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have the phone number, just call and don't doubt who picks up because you call. Do you That's swear by the Holy Trinity that you are James? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I powerfully conjure and call you forth. Yeah. And and so maybe there there's, you know, some of that that's probably better for like specific spirits people i'm not related to etc but like i've never really had a i don't know Maybe i also I just... find that go ahead so oh, i also find that if you want to get a ghost story out of somebody who doesn't believe in ghosts um ask them if their ancestors have like pinged them and you'll usually get one <laughs> nice yeah yeah if you're well... comfortable with asking them some people are just like not gonna deal with it at all but I find that you can get something like that out of most people. Well, I think a lot of the time too, with people, they'll say, Oh, I don't have anything. And then like, if you talk long enough, they'll start talking. And it's like, I kind of have done that too. And it's not even really a matter of like, I didn't believe it. It's just like, I didn't think I had anything in that sense. And then I'm like, Oh wait, no, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's like a bunch of times. Even before I started like working with my ancestors, which that just hyperdrive, you know? I find that um, for me, it helps. I got to actually get on this a little bit more and like make notes throughout the day. Cause if you like start paying attention to it, you'll, you'll notice so many more things. Um, and and I, I like to make notes to like remind myself that the stuff is important that I'm like recording my impressions. Um, but yeah, it happens so often. Um, one of the, one of the spirit experiences that I had, like before I was even doing an intensive practice was at my grandfather's funeral. Uh, it, it was really cold out and we were taking the casket into the church. And all of a sudden I felt like I had a perspective that was like 50 feet in the air, like looking down on this procession. And I sensed that it was my grandfather. And I, the language that came to mind was like, like he looked during the war. So when he was a lot younger And it was almost hard to be like sad at that moment because he was, I sensed this like astonishment that he could be 50 feet above this church. (laughs) And um, yeah, it was just like a quick flash, but yeah, the, the dead are so easy to get in touch with. (laughs) That's a cool story too. Thank you again for sharing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, this is the antidote for so much of our woes. And I am so, so just like, I know that in my core because so much of what's going on 
is a fear of death. Yes. And if uh, if people are afraid of death, they are easy to manipulate. But yeah, anybody once who I realize, you. yeah, man, right. But once I realize that there is no end to experience, that I might have a different experience. It might not be this experience, but there's no end to experience itself. Um, then. Well, it's like the philosophers um, or the mysteries. The goal was to die before you die. Um, and that can happen in a lot of ways. For me, it was like, you know, actually dying. Um, but yeah, there's something that, ha- like, it's being invincible, uh, as Gordon White puts it. I remember the, I think this is in one of his books, but, uh, we have so much information about what happens after death and people like kind of would give me a weird look. Cause there's this kind of idea that we like, can't possibly know that there is an afterlife. It's like, yes, you can. <laughs> um, yeah. We actually have vastly more evidence for an afterlife than like any culture beforehand there. We have books on our shelves that like sages and mages a thousand years ago would have given their left arm for, Right. Um, it's just like we do know, and I'm comfortable saying that. Like I, I've done enough reading and had enough experience that I know people survive death, and you can hold things so lightly after that. Yeah, it really takes away so much of, and I mean, there's not like there's not going to be problems, you know what I mean? Because it's easy to forget these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like part of the whole idea of like remembering who i am well that's a piece of it the death piece is huge though and that's another piece i put together it's like getting the triforce you know you got to get all the pieces (laughs) the the, uh, the triforce it's the praxis gnosis thing again too because if you if you talk to the dead then you are acting out your knowledge of life after death and it enforces it and lo and behold they are able to tell us things you know like and we're able to tell them things like there's an intelligence exchange occurring um and i just wouldn't i just don't know where i would be if it weren't for that i don't i wouldn't be the same person i wouldn't be and i wouldn't have the life that i have i wouldn't be able to do the things that i'm able to do today um if I was still there, if I was still uh, in that fear, you know? I had a, I one time shared some of my life story with someone I shouldn't have shared it with. And she was like, well, why is this important? Hmm. And that was like, that question kind of threw me because it was just so obviously important to me that like someone's like, well, it's kind of like that the unexamined life is not worth living thing. Like if yeah. you, I, I can't think of a more important question than, you know, I have a culture telling me that I'm a meat robot. Uh, and when I expire, I disappear. That's a, a vastly, vastly different world than if I survived death. And 
I, I think there's this kind of like corrosive thing that uh, there's a, a corrosiveness to that idea that like erodes people's psyches. Because if you believe that, if you believe that you're a meat robot that eventually turns off, you you can't escape the implications of that. And the implications of are of that are like nothing you do actually matters. Like there is really no there's no good, there's no evil, there's just a blip in time, and that's it. And there's even if just people buying don't things. Yeah. And if if people don't consciously think about that, I think it like honestly erodes their soul. I, yes. I think it just like hollows people out. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that actually weakens your energy and astral body or whatever you want to like call that. It like actually diminishes that and makes you, which feeds into your actual being and makes you weaker. Like not in a sense that like people that are stronger are better, but just like, like you said earlier, no um, spiritual defense. Yeah. It just, slowly erodes your your soul like I, I don't think the soul can be destroyed but if you if you're holding that on the inside if you, you have this like conscious or unconscious idea that like you know there's nothing more to you than that like you're just gonna act you're gonna act that out you're gonna ritualize yes, it you're gonna ritualize it yes and you're going to project it into the world uh, in the same way that we call up what we are inside in our exteriors. And that's uh, like a lot of what we're seeing. And um, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, I can speak again from experience because when I had this, um, what did I even want to call that? When I was in that mode of thinking or being, As someone that thinks about, like, that does examine these questions, like, I've never not examined these questions or thought about the implications of these things. Um, when I was in that, it was unbearable. It was like an unbearable state of being that, like, very much contributed to my, leading, like, trying to escape that through um substances right like and compulsive use of those substances um that's a really big contributor to my addiction was um was that the terror of that oblivion was too much for me to sit with i had a really really similar experience um i was doing um i'll, I'll be vague here again but I, I i had a night where like i just encountered that nothing that just complete meaninglessness like total nihilism and i was just like this can't be it like there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I've experienced something else besides this. This cannot be it. Yeah, and when everyone else is kind of screaming at you that it is, I mean, that's another thing. Like, I mean, I was also being indoctrinated into the idea that that was it. 
you know? Um, yeah. And it's unconsciously shared so often, like you said, it was like, like projected into the world. Like we watch these, like, I, I can't even think about how many times I've watched like anything from movies to TV shows to documentary where there's this like offhand comment about how life is meaningless. Like yeah. that will, that'll, that destroys your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does wound, wound you. Um, or it did me at least. It did uh, to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. If we bring that back to, do you think that there is a connection here as to why? I I don't know if this is like. It seems to be pretty quantifiable that like in rural areas there is more, at least religion, if not spirituality. Like, there's more belief. It seems like right. Mm-hmm. What do you see I, there? I think partially. I think it might be a factor. I think partially. Um, I think there's like social factors too. Like I think rural areas are just inherently more conservative with the kind of slower pace. But I also do think that. Um, brushing up against the living universe, like, and I, I wasn't raised in a rural environment, so I'm not sure how much I can really speak to, but I have heard that when people share the idea of animism with people who like live right on the edge of the forest or like in an area where they're encountering like these living universe, they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, that's, like, that's just it. <laughs> yeah. That's just the experience. I also think, this is just coming to mind for me, but have you noticed that I feel like this hasn't always been a thing, but people start saying the word humans when they refer to other people, like they're an alien. (laughs) Um, (laughs) God, I had a bonkers experience at a bank where I was, I went in to like take some money out and there was this, this guy standing next to me, like, like just kind of like laughing very strangely with the uh, teller who was giving him weird looks. And he was like, how many humans have you had in here today? <laughs> and he kind of like looked over at me and I was like, what? <laughs> Hello humans. I too am a human person. <laughs> yeah. And I see that on the internet all the time. Like people like that just, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, we are human, but it, it always like, referring to people in that way really seems kind of like creepy to me. Like I even call trees, tree people like, (laughs) like, um, but it makes me wonder if there's like spirits in the city that like, like you said, like speaking through other people that really don't like humans or like, I think Jen Psaki, not to get political, but to get political, (laughs) um, the former press secretary, like talked about like raising two humans. It's just like, (laughs) that's a bizarre way to refer to your own children (laughs) yeah it's weirdly clinical and like it is like alien it's like yeah it's so stereotypical alien talk you know it's like morbo and future (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah Um, yeah and i wonder if those kind of things inhabit the city more than the country um, well, I actually, can imagine if I was a spirit that had been in the place forever and then a city was built on top of me, I would probably feel the same way. I'd be yeah. like, damn, y'all. Really? The one time I made contact, excuse me, 
with a land spirit, uh, it was not happy. Uh, I feel like our, our kind of our grid patterns and our you know paving over everything of concrete makes a lot of things really unhappy. Yeah, and well, it makes me unhappy. So I can only imagine how they feel. I've always felt that that concrete was like just a sin. Um, it's like inert. Yeah, and it's like interesting that people talk about like pollution when they've covered the entirety of the ground with asphalt and they don't see that as some sort of a transgression. I've always felt mm-hmm. that way. Um, it's just strange. Oh, I am. Um, John Michael Greer said something about this like ages ago, but I can't remember where he sourced it. But um, apparently in the ancient world there, uh, the Greeks would like leave different areas of the land to the gods. Like they, you know, like this is a, there'd be like a shrine to like Demeter in the middle of nowhere and all these different things. And apparently there's an ecological survey of those areas. And it turns out like the areas that were, were put aside for the gods were ecologically essential for the health of the like farming around that or something like that. That's really fascinating. Yeah. So the implications of like a city where no place is really sacred, even like, even if you have like a building that's been there from the beginning, a lot of the times they'll just like tear it down and build like a stadium on it or something. Um, if, if their money's good. Um, yeah. So flip that. Right. So if a place, and this, the implications of this are kind of scary. If a place that's been given over to the gods is essential for the survival of the ecosystem, what is a place where there's no consideration of the gods or no place is considered sacred? What is that place's effect on the ecosystem? And I would say that it's possible that it's the, the inverse of the other. I, yeah, I shudder. I shudder to think at it. Um, I um, and this this kind of hits close to home for me because I I am um, in Minneapolis. I, I've tried to collect just little tidbits about what the Dakota thought about the area. Yeah, that's and good. Like to where do. they where they thought was sacred, and uh, the place where the Minnesota and the Mississippi rivers converge is called a Bedote in Dakota, which means the confluence, and they say that it's where the world was created. It's where heaven mirrors earth. And I went down there because it's, it's a park now and you can, you can go down there and like stand at this very, very holy place. And there's like condos across the river. Mm. I was just, I don't know. It made me really sad. (laughs) Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot of that kind of thing here. So like the Etowa mounds are about 45 minutes North, um, west of atlanta and it's just you know it's pretty country once you get out there and um there it's an old ancient mound site um you know i I don't exactly remember what um time period but you know old um and you they've most mounds especially in like this is kind of a museum and a um like a national, like maybe a state park or a national park, you know, little area. And so the mounds have been rebuilt. Um, they're not the original structures, obviously, because you have to keep adding dirt to them in order for them to stay. So they rebuilt the mounds, and you can go up to the highest mound and 
look over the horizon and there's like a nuclear power plant like you can see on the horizon and it's just like it's an affront um you know some of the effigies down here um it's kind of a similar thing well like one of them uh the rock eagle one that i've talked about on here a good bit is um like it's 4-h land so like it's been really well preserved and like um really respected even though there's like a fence around the effigy which is like okay i get it protects the effigy but it looks like the thing is like in jail and um the forest around there is pretty pristine but then you know its partner across the river is owned by georgia power and um the the construction around it is like even more prison like it's like this thing is like being held in some sort of a cage um yeah it's just like i don't there's like a give and take happening there where it's like this is not only a symptom of like how our society does but this is also causing like one of those two-way streets yeah i think it is having like a big effect like the lack of relation to place and the lack of like I'm trying to think of a better term than everyday holiness. Um, Like you walk to work and you walk past a shrine. Like, I think it really tears people apart. Like, even if they don't know what they're experiencing, um, that's something that people have always done. Like, no matter where you look on the planet, like people, people put up shrines and people relate to place in that way. And I think, missing it is is yeah both a symptom and a cause of a, a really serious disease and i, I think of to the like kirandero's um and regard the plant medicine traditions like you'll have westerners go down there and you know how do we fix all of our problems and they're just like you've lost your connection to spirit and that's why you're so screwed up it's really that simple yeah yeah um what pill can we take that will solve this problem? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what what prescription is there for this? Um, it's interesting to think about this in this sense, though. Okay, so I'm going to try to bring this back to like a story from my life, and we'll see where we go from here. One thing that does happen. Okay, so the most profound haunting experience that I had, and I told the story on, like, I think one of the first episodes where I was telling my story. So if anyone wants to hear it in full, they can go check that out. Um, But one of the most profound haunting experiences that I had, and really, like, my first experience with this, uh, that I knew of, that I know of, you know, um, it was a paradigm shift for me. And so it's like, I was in a place of total... Um, I mean, beyond agnosticism, right? But I like wanted there to be ghosts. I was, I've always been interested in ghosts. Like I've always watched those shows. And so like, I was in a really interesting place because there's like all the skepticism surrounding it, but a willingness. And so when this being came through, when the spirit came through in really scary ways, it gave me no choice but to accept this new reality or this reality that I had, maybe not a new reality, but one that I had ignored. Um, 
or been conditioned to ignore. Um, and that I can see as like one of these turning points in my life that led me back to the life of spirit. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that experience, even though it was really scary and, and kind of awful at the time it was happening. I was also in a terrible place. So like, was it mirroring my energy? Probably, uh, you know, and like that happens a lot with, with uh, ghost encounters and people will be in dark places in their life and the ghost comes as dark. Um, okay. So once I integrated that experience, it became um, really important for me. So what does that say about what we've been talking about? Like there is a function here. And so when we, this is like, the ushering in of a new era or something, right? Because when these things get ignored enough, they will spill over the gate. And as they did into my life, they will spill over the gate that we've built against them as a society. And I think we're seeing that. Well, it makes me think too that the, you know, I'm not sure there's ever been a civilization before that, uh, had such danger attached to it. Like you couldn't blow up the world in 1750. We can. And there's, there's a kind of like horror of that. Like it's almost like the spirit world is, is mirroring that kind of corrosion in the soul from like severing that connection to spirit or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but the upshot of it is that when that happens, there's an equal and opposite upswelling of of spirit back. Like, that tear in the fabric is where spirit flows in. Yeah. I was thinking about this, too, in the nature of the internet and how it was a lot harder to do what we do in an era of like mass media where there's like, you know, the television schedule and these are like the six shows you get or something like that. Like not to say people didn't do it, but I think it's that reinforcing aspect. Like, you know, this is, there's very, there's positive negatives of this with the internet, of course, but being able to like reach out and network and like reinforce your own experiences with other people's is I think extremely powerful. And I think it's going to be a very major factor in bringing this stuff back. Yeah. I think that was actually an effect of the internet that was not intended. And like, luckily they didn't foresee it because I don't think it was created under, um, innocent motives <laughs> yeah and I, I think one of the rockefellers at one point said like we shouldn't have let the internet be as open as it was <laughs> something like that Whoops. <laughs> so, yeah so they, they're kind of like conscious of it which is weird uh but yeah i i was i was talking about this with um on uh, on the soapbox but the uh how it's interesting how the proliferation of this technology, which I think probably had supernatural origins, not going to lie, like was supposed to end all religion and all superstition and all this stuff. And everyone would be like good little Carl Sagan's. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it, 
it's not doing that at all. Like if you go on like TikTok, which I don't, but uh, like astrology and like witch talk are huge and it's just like everywhere. Yeah. I think that is hopefully like one of those visible examples of that function of like us um, banishing these things and therefore they like come through in ways that we can't even anticipate. I had an experience recently where I don't want to go too in depth because it connects to like specific places and stuff, but um, I had an angel demonstrate her independent existence to me. And it was accompanied with like a whole bunch of really weird stinks and including somebody who I did not anticipate saying this saying archangel of love. And yeah. I was, it was fascinating to me because I was like, oh, the, the good guys are out in the world. Like, it's not just, it's not just us calling them in. Like there's, there's a, someone on the other end of the line. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, really important to remember. Um, I think another thing I want to reiterate, because you mentioned it is um, learning about the indigenous people of where you live. Uh, whether they're still there or not, you know, learning what their beliefs are about uh, your place is like, absolutely. it is not just, it is not just learning about stuff. It is, it is a participation and an acknowledgement and like the beginning of a relationship, if you'll let it be. Um, and it's not fucking appropriation. <laughs> like appropriation keeps people from spirits much more than it does anything else. I'm just gonna say it. I, I think, yeah, like the I, idea I totally of appro- the idea of appropriation, right? Like, um, imagine like coming to this world and being so afraid of appropriation that I do don't dance with the spirits that I came here to dance with. That's a tragedy to me. Yeah, and I, I I kind of get the intent of this idea. Like, you know, it's it's really like poor taste to like, you know, dress someone up at a fashion show in some kind of like right. Inuit fashion or something like that. But like the way it's being presented now is like that you can't learn from other cultures at all, which is just no. Like that's yeah. not okay. To, Right. Like, well, everything is taken almost... to its extreme, right? Like, so obviously, mm. like, I just think it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if I'm worried that I'm doing it, I'm probably not doing it. Yeah. I think that's a good metric. For really it. doing it involves ignorance, <laughs> like, of the fact that I'm doing it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm... My kind of yardstick on it is like, um, I'm not going to claim that I'm something I'm not or have access to traditions that I don't have access to. But for me, it's really important. Like access to traditions I don't have access to in the sense that I'm like, I'm not an initiated like But if Santorino, you, but if you were initiated into it, you would have access to it. Exactly. And it wouldn't like, be I a think, matter of appropriation. It's a matter of initiation. Yeah, you would be a part of that tradition and a part of that um, that group. Yeah. And so it's almost like a covert form of like cultural supremacism in a way, because it's like, you're yeah. saying that like all of these very, very good ideas in a lot of cases can't be touched. 
Well, like, well, and so you're, you're basically too- implying, no, it, it, saying that you can't learn from another culture or, or especially in like magical realms. Cause like magic just like these spirits have their own agency too. And these spirits have their own agency. Off. It just closes off so much of the world. Like you said, like it's, it's this, it's very weird and very like sinister in a way. Another way to avoid it. And like, because 90% of it is like, just opening your mouth when you shouldn't. So like mm-hmm. if you just shut the fuck up about what you're doing, then, Oh, guess what? You'll really not run the risk of appropriating other cultures yeah. because the biggest thing is like saying that you're part of something that you're not. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, just shut up and do the work and um, it'll be okay. Not, you know, I don't know. Maybe people get mad at me saying that, but I don't really care. That's, that's my idea of it too. Like I, you know, if, if spirits, you know, spirits are real, but like, if you're living in that universe, like these, they need attention yeah. and, and they'll go to who's uh, going to give them attention. And, and yeah. If there's and someone on no the other idea. end of the line. Well, and also you have no idea what connections, what past lives, what bonds, what oaths, um, are being enacted in this incarnation. And that's another example of like, I think that that idea can only exist in a society that believes that you have one life and that's it. Yep. You know, and not that it's an excuse to say like, well, I was this in another life so I can do this. No, that's not the point. The point is that like, there's a lot more going on here than we are able to really see. And, um, if I live in a world where spirits have agency, they're going to dance with who they dance with. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's not like, for me uh, to say who they can dance with. It's like me telling you who you can hang out with. It's kind of like like ayahuasca because there's a lot of, I mean, some of some of it. I'll be honest, some of it valid, but a lot of discussion around appropriation of ayahuasca. But I, I look at the behavior of this entity, and this is very much a spirit on a mission. This is very much, as far as I can tell, an entity that wants to reach people in this civilization um it has definitely like made its way into that kind of cultural consciousness i think there's a reason for that yeah some spirits want out and the secret spirits they'll they'll keep secret they'll stay secret like they'll find people to talk to that don't run their mouth you know what i mean yeah there's some spirits that have told me to shut up you know and um, if I want to keep hanging out with them, I better shut up. Um, it's a matter of my... Oh, it's the table. It's a matter of uh, preference. You know what I mean? They'll find someone to talk to. It's like when you ignore the muses, someone else comes out with your idea. Yeah. It's going to find a way out. It's like trying to dam a river, definitely... which is what we love to do in our society, too. And we're, we're learning all the... Uh... Uh, what happens when you do that? It's just kind it of the theme of this apocalyptic. It is the theme of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and well, I, I think too about how our not to get political, but to get political, like people try to like in the corporate world, people try to like clamp down really tight on any kind of like, 
uh, anger or all this other stuff, like all these very like normal human emotions. Like I kind of wonder what the effect of that is, this kind of like compartmentalization and being like all clean and shiny all the time, like, but, like in the city, like it's fragility is the, is the effect. Yeah. It's like, if you lived in a clean room your whole life, the moment you stepped outside, you would die because of all these like diseases that you weren't like, um, that you didn't know your body didn't know how to handle. Um, and I think I kind of wonder we, if a lot of it comes out on the internet. Yeah, definitely. The internet is like the like a homunculus of the collective unconscious. Yeah, and you get these you get a civilization god you know if you put this on like a whiteboard in front of me and like we're going to try this i'm like this is the worst idea ever like you you get a civilization that is does not believe in spirit like actively discourages talking about it um tries we'll to clamp put down you on medication or in a, or institutionalize you mhm tries to clamp down on all sorts of human emotions and experience and like thinks it's enlightened <laughs> That is Ooh. just some some a recipe for big dumb. Yeah, yeah. It almost it fits the like kind of externalization that we've created of it a lot of time, like mass pollution, which I guess is topical at the moment. Um, yeah, like junk, chemicals, poisons everywhere. But only the acceptable type of pollution. Yeah, <laughs> we only talk about the kind of pollution that fits the narrative. Um, otherwise, you know, we just arrest reporters that are trying to talk about it. Yeah. Which is actually happening in Ohio or was happening. Yeah. And, uh, like, and I, I've heard that there's a lot of like academics that will talk about, you know, stuff that's in our food or like, you know, there'll be journalists, sorry, journalists and independent journalists that'll talk about uh, like what's being put in the food and the medicine and all this stuff. And apparently they get emails from academics like very high up in their field saying we know all this we just can't say it <laughs> yeah oh yeah and so yeah this conspiracy to clamp down on major major parts of human experience and also like non-human experience too like we've extirpated so many animals and i, I kind of wonder if it's like that with the spirits like you know you're not going to find a grizzly bear in the city mostly most of the time <laughs> yeah um it, yeah we've we've extirpated a lot of things and i remember when i was growing up uh, there was a mountain lion that came into the city and it was like a major thing like they had helicopters they had everything going on <laughs> this thing and think about you know, it was a normal about... part of the <laughs> it was a normal part of the landscape 150 years ago look there's something we didn't kill yeah <laughs> you know unbelievable um yeah we missed one <laughs> yeah i think that i think a, they did tranquilize it but. i think that is a spirit message it's got to be right oh did you did you see that the british police shot a white stag like a year ago yep i was just yep. like just like you did man, that even during, if i wasn't you super did that during the apocalypse you moron I was like, and since in the state was the one who killed it. Yeah. And actually that's a, an omen of the death of a head of state. Interestingly enough. 
Um, oh wow! Because the white stag is the symbol of the yeah, king. Yeah, right. Um, but that's also the symbol of the other world. Like you literally, like you shot something that was trying to give you a message. Like I, I, you know, I know the all the official rules and like safety things around it, but that, that just kind of tells me how insane our culture is. Like, do you think the, the person the, that what, do you think the person that shot the white stag had ever seen Princess Mononoke? I don't know. I doubt it. I wouldn't. Yeah, I, it's kind of scary to think if they had and still shot it, like what that means, but I guess we'll never know. Mm. I'll have to get him on the show. Yeah, I was... <laughs> See if you can find out who the person who shot the white stag. In... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. That's a cross-cultural thing, too, because in a, um, the, a, a white bison is, is very significant to the Dakota and Lakota. Yeah. Oh, actually, speaking of which, I I was very heartened to hear that um, in southern Minnesota, the the bison are being reintroduced to the state park. So after 150 years after they disappeared, they're back. Oh, uh, nice. Wild bison, not farmed ones. Um, and I was I was reading about some of the ecology around them, and apparently they they basically are the Great Plains because they they like trample down the trees that grow and. Uh, they're they're the reason for this entire ecosystem. Uh, like they are the prairie. Did you? And, um, go ahead. Yeah, you lose you lose them. You lose the prairie. <laughs> There's a really great video I watched about um, kind of how the wolves are that way too, and when wolves were reintroduced, um, like it actually changed the entire landscape. Um, like just at every level like even the rivers were affected because uh the way grass grew was changed because um, they were able to kind of balance out with predation certain other species which affected the grass which affected like how the rivers flow um yeah that's crazy like just those like things that we think are um or that we've been brought to think are inconsequential have these cascading um ramifications for good or ill well it's also part of the conversation about like pushing things out of human experience mm. um oh yeah great great connection well i noticed too that um our culture not surprisingly given everything else is really bad about death uh like, like death is a very private thing in our culture and it, it wasn't in the past and they didn't really have a choice because people died all the time but like we really do our best to hide it. You know what the uh, dead taught it. me? What's that? The dead taught well, they taught me a lot, but one of the things that the dead taught me was that I believed that it's dumb to die. You die when you fucked up. You die when you did something dumb. Darwin Awards. Um oh, look at that idiot. They you know, tried to climb that and then it fell off. Like it's a that we see it as failure. We see it as um, an inability to function, whereas the ancients knew that death is holy, that death makes you holy, that death is what our, our gateway to infinity. Um, yeah. And to be revered. And so not having that, God, what look, look around. 
this is what it's done. I think something I, I remember an article that something there's some crazy percentage of healthcare costs are spent in the last two weeks of life. Like just an obscene amount of money for people to hold on just a couple more days. Yeah. It's crazy. And other cultures don't do that. Like, I don't know. I, we even measure, uh, we even measure like how bad ideologies are by like, you know, how many people they killed, just horrible in a lot of different ways. But it's like, oh, the, you know, who was worse? Who killed more people? And it's just like, I don't know. I maybe haven't formulated my thoughts too much on this, but it's just like, yeah, we 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 keep score using death as a metric of failure. Yeah, totally. Um, and so it's just ingrained at every level. And so let's continue to um, think along the lines of the connection that you made, where pushing something to the outskirts of human experience and pushing it away, if if this is the same as pushing out the bison or pushing out the wolf, what can bringing death back into the fold, what can having an integrated outlook on death, what can revering death and revering the dead, what, how could that change the inner landscape, both on the personal level and the connective level? How can that change the collective unconscious? What will, how will the rivers that flow through our dreams change their flow um how will that land um take on uh, a healthier cast that's great to think about i was gonna say i don't even know if i could follow that up because that's just so perfectly stated like it's it's a um a wholeness it's uh we can you like it can be revitalized and the idea that the hope I'm, is there is something that was just, it's, I, I'm glad to even say it right now because sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Well, we even, we even push out childhood too. It's almost like we push out the like one end and then the other end. And it's like, everybody is just a uh, cog in the financial machine adult. Yeah. And that's, that's who you are. And if you little soldiers, you die, you, I'm sorry, you lost the the game and you can't play that game anymore. It's just like, like our schools are basically prisons for children. Yes. And especially with all this testing stuff and competitiveness. And it's just like, you're basically have to be an adult from, you basically have two courses in your life. You either become an adult when you're like 11 or you like fall off the, the machine. And both of those are kind of awful in their own way. (laughs) And we're putting in, we're, we put kids in school like really early now. Yeah, they're in school at like two. And yeah, it's, um, it's horrific. <laughs> yeah, I found it to be terrible. I was just, uh, and then I went to jail, and it was like, oh, this is the same thing. It's the same building materials. It's the same um, cinder block walls with that glossy paint on them. It's the same mm-hmm. food. The same companies provide the food. It's the same. Um, ethos of you know you're too loud lock it down uh well that's happening in a wide scale now uh they just love to lock it down um 
but like yeah so schools are preparing individuals to adapt to prison and jail and you know as the country with the highest amount of incarcerated people in the like i think what doesn't don't we have more incarcerated people than the entire world has like combined I think both or something? as a percentage and absolute number it's yeah. higher than anywhere else um it's really scary to think about that like oh like not it's not just a this is not hyperbole that like we are preparing people to endure like to experience that get used to jail, yeah and you know? well it's interesting too like um we push out old age we push out youth and then we also prevent them from ever meeting each other basically mm. and i know that people grow up with their grandparents and stuff like that but you put all of these kids that are the same age in a room and there's there's no role models in that environment like yeah. um i think i remember hearing that the one room schoolhouse like i mean maybe not a model for right now but apparently it actually worked really well I'm because sure. you'd have like a 16 year old and a 10 year old and the 16 year old learned the material by teaching it to the 8 year old yes and the 8 year old learned it, it from a yeah yeah it, it, and it's also like how to interact get, with another people socialize like help each other to become like members of society it's like i don't like actually i have no problem comparing people with dogs because dogs are cool but like <laughs> it's like dogs when you get a dog if you get a couple dogs they will like teach each other how to be dogs and sometimes they teach each other how to like they'll teach trauma too if they if they experience that um this yeah. reminds me of something patrick harper said he's, he's one of my have have you read Daimonic Reality or any of his books? Man, I've listened to him on podcasts, but I've never read Daimonic Reality. I started reading it. I guess the answer is no. <laughs> he um I think he's 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 speaking of of old age, I think he's he's gotten to that point in his life where he has like his his few stories and his few ideas that he likes and he just kind of goes over them <laughs> sure, yeah. at this point. Uh I think that just happens when you reach sixty-eight or something <laughs> like um but he he had this idea that um just about all cultures have an initiation ritual and it was what was required to become an adult like i think the native group around crater lake like you had to like climb climb around the limb of crater lake or you'd like you know send people off in the woods and they had to find their way back using the knowledge that they yeah. had learned uh, while growing up from their elders like it was like scary stuff and the idea of an initiation, as far as I can tell, this might be just my read on it, but like you had to face death in order to become an adult. And when you came back, you were like a different person. Like there was a recognition that you were moving from one stage to another. And sometimes you even got a new name uh, to, to fit that status. And uh, Patrick Harper liked to make the point that uh, a lot of people in our culture like seek out initiation without any kind of structure around it. Like, um, like drugs, like flying to Cancun and like partying on a beach for spring break, like this desire to put life on the line. And so he, he was basically making the implication that we, we live in a society that tries to prevent that, does its utmost to try and prevent that encounter and might actually be run by literal children. Um, right. Because regardless of what age they had, they never actually had an initiation ritual and have been a child for their entire lives. Um, I'm very much in agreement with that. 
Um, I talk about it a lot. I didn't know that. that I didn't. Yeah, I need to read him then, because um, I'm very much, I'm very much along that line of thinking as well. Um, we are children among ruins. People talk about the post-apocalypse. You live in it. You're living in the post-apocalypse. Yep. It's already happened. It happened a long time ago. Um, and that might be kind of a scary thought, but actually I find it kind of liberating because it means that this is not the fucking end-all be-all because I always knew that this wasn't right. Something deep inside yeah. me knew this wasn't right, and the way that that expressed itself for so long until I really understood was in unhealthy ways. Once I was able to see, oh my God, this is not how it's supposed to be, liberation yeah um, yeah we are children among the ruins we have not been well you know no maybe not all of us but like we that's uh, just as a general rule that's the the experience that we're having now um and it it connects to the fear of death too because like i said this might be just my read on it and maybe i'm like kind of misinterpreting something patrick harper said but you have to face your mortality to become an adult. You have to have a actual encounter with death. Yeah. And so many people don't like, like it, it, all of society is this padded room. <laughs> yeah, totally. They're in the bubble and then they're fragile. They can't, they don't have any coping mechanisms or, um, yeah, I mean, it makes it leaves you susceptible to all kinds of things. Advertisement is being a big one. <laughs> and if you turn on your TV nowadays, all of the advertisements are for drugs. Um, yeah, which is scary. I don't. I don't advise turning it on. Um, yeah, keep yeah. the demons out of it, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Or like a lot of the time, I will actually like erect an astral. Uh, barrier between me and the TV. And it's interesting because I'm able to actually look at it um, and I, I don't want to watch it, but like I, it happens. Uh, right? Like you're going to draws your attention. And Sometimes like a... you'll be around it. Yeah, man. I remember I hated that when I went to bars. Um, it would always be football or something on the TV and I, I would always be able to do nothing but watch it even though I don't watch football. I would just stare at the TV and I would think to myself why is this happening? You know? Like why can't I I mean, it's, it's a, it is, a, it ensorcels you, but, um, yeah, sorry. You had another thought on that. Oh yeah. No, I was just going to say that, um, I was going to finish. I kind of went on a tangent, but, um, cause at the gym too, if I go, when I go to the gym, it's like all TVs and I feel like they're barraging me. And a lot of the time it's news. So like I'm being propagandized and, um, scandalized, uh, while I'm just trying to run or something, you know, and, uh, so that's another time where I'll put up the barrier and it actually allows me to um, view it objectively and kind of take that view of like, huh, so this is like what we're at, we're doing right now. Okay. Instead of like internalizing it and it like kind of infecting me with its derangement. Yeah. And it's always like CNN or something like that. Yeah. Like does anyone watch <laughs> CNN except for like TV? Dude, I, airports? Think <laughs> I have a theory that ratings numbers come from jails and prisons i could see that because there's always tv going on in there uh, i thought we was watching it isn't there a constitutional amendment prohibiting cruel and unusual punishment <laughs> <laughs> yeah they found a way around that i guess they changed the definitions yeah they do be they do yeah, be doing that <laughs> well it's 
I feel like there's a connection there between like this this kind of like propaganda and fear and fear of death and like initiation. It's like maybe it's the fear of initiation. Like because well, initiation is death. Yeah. Initiation is dying to who I was. It is becoming a new person. So it's like it very much is like that death tarot card. Um mm-hmm. it is stepping into a new mode of being. And so yeah, they're the same thing. I had a friend tell me that um he wasn't ready for the current society we have to end. Mm. I thought that was really revealing. Yeah, um, I think I went through that. Um even though I'd say like I always knew this was wrong, I still did some mourning for it uh in the past yeah. couple of years. Um you know, because I think part of it is like the world that I thought I was going to live in. It's not even so much that I was attached. Well, I mean, I was attached. I think sometimes I think you just can't help it. But it's not that I was like overly attached to it, but it was just that it, um, I don't know. I just thought like it just, when you have that expectation and then the expectation is subverted, there is a sense of like mourning to, to some extent, right? Uh, and I think that's a good thing to go through. It's like your friend, um, I think the fact that your friend was able to say that is actually like really powerful. Like I have hope for that person. Yeah, I thought so too. Like it's an intuitive apprehension of what's happening. Yeah. Because um, I feel like every everyone kind of knows something is wrong dude everyone like like show me a a well-adjusted person in this current year and and i'll show you a psychopath (laughs) probably (laughs) oh yeah maybe there are a few people that have it all together and are doing great or something but i mean i don't have it all together and i'm doing great but i am a well-adjusted psychopath so (laughs) (laughs) i do relate i I meant (laughs) i I meant to say more like adjusted to this society like they're like yeah they were doing Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. We're like we're doing great. Like this is this is the way things are supposed to be. This kind of like deteriorating empire. Like you know, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, like... someone just totally thriving in the um in the shit show. Yeah, yeah, like I would wouldn't want to be within three miles of that person. Like I think that person is like Anthony Fauci or something. Like... Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I think so. There's I think um the pangs. So I, I'll give a message of of hope. Um, I think that the pangs, if you're experiencing pangs now, it's because you are participating in a transition of an age or an aeon or a, whatever you want to call it. it I, there's plenty of words for it, but you are participating in that change. So the fact that I am experiencing pangs or some sorrow means that I'm not holding on too strongly to the other world actually because if i wasn't experiencing pangs i would be like the person you're describing i would be in the thick of it and so um don't be too hard on yourself if you um are going through that because we're all going through that i think you know and i think even like everyone i talk to know like you said everyone i talk to knows there's something going on it's just the way they describe it is in a different way. And it just that's fine, you know? Some people say it's a climate collapse. Some people say it's um, you know, 
uh, New World Order, something. You know, it doesn't matter, really, right? Like it's, and it's probably a lot of all of it, um, you know. But I, I try not to focus too much on those exteriors nowadays, and just try to kind of get to the heart of like, okay, so this person's going through what I'm going through. They're just expressing it in a different way. Yeah, and and it comes back to like what we talked about last time about, um, and then this time about like acting out the the gnosis acting out the knowledge that there are spirits out there that, you know, I, I took a, a prompt from an angel earlier this week. Like, yeah, I'm not going to say that to my HR director. Um, <laughs> Please do that. I, um... <laughs> that would be an interesting <laughs> conversation. Yeah. So I think that's a really good, um, a really good note to hit too. Um, because what happens when, I take the prompts is that I get more prompts. And when yes. I do things for spirits, the spirits find me because they know I'm someone that does things for spirits. One of I've had maybe two or three experiences of like a, a named spirit that reached out to me without me reaching out to them. And and one of them was was Saint Expedite. And cool. I haven't reached out to Saint Expedite because frankly I find him a bit frightening. Um, I'm saying saving that for when I need it. Yeah, yeah, he's um, good though. He'll he'll do. And uh, I, I was like driving my car, and suddenly there was this really hot presence. Um, like, like I I could feel that how hot the saint was, and I knew it was Saint Expedite. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, I did not. This is yeah. not something I did. When you move that fast, you you get hot. And. I remember I didn't even know anything about him really. And I, I looked him up afterwards and I found out that hoodoo distinguishes spirits by whether they're hot or cold. And St. Yeah. Expedite is a very hot spirit. I didn't know that yeah. before. Spicy. That's cool, man. Um, yeah. I love it when that kind of stuff happens too. Just that, that kind of outside confirmation. Yeah. Um, acting out the reality like and this may feel awkward at first um it totally does it totally can, does yeah. and you feel weird right like because i remember when i first started doing it but there's like just on the other side of that is like an amazing way to live it's just an amazing experience like and like i just happily trounce through graveyards um you know praying for the dead and giving them things and um hugging trees and you know whatever else and um i don't care anymore what people think about it there was a time when i definitely did <laughs> yeah it took me like several months to get over that kind of like that weird hill like and it just like and then it just becomes normal and it's just like this has just always been a part of life yeah and I recall another thing John Michael Greer said, he made this like offhand comment about how like religions need to get their shit together. So like people, uh, so like occultists can go off and have fun. Because <laughs> like, like, like we have, or maybe occultists, magicians, like whatever you want to call it. Like we have to pick up the the tab when religions don't tell people about the afterlife or how to relate to the invisible or all that kind of stuff. And like yeah, people need to know that stuff. So they'll like go searching for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, like 
like our job is to mediate the worlds it's it's yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's an imbalance too right that's interesting that's 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 good stuff yeah because people people should be able to go like you know not that i i think religion is an inherent good or i mean i think religion is just an inevitable human behavior to be honest but if we're talking about like specific religions all of them have their screwed up aspects but people should be able to go to like a priest or a a bhikkhu or a monk or something like that and and be able to like learn how to relate to the invisible world how to care for the dead how to um because like that's not most people's job like most people like there's always been a need for most people to be doing other things but like there's no resources for that anymore like if you go talk to a catholic priest about angels like especially in a city i doubt you're gonna get like anything about it yeah um which is crazy and you know the internet is where that ends up and people go that's where they go uh for that and i mean i can't it was good for me but i don't know that it always is um it's a mixed bag i guess you know but it's probably the same with religion honestly (laughs) yeah yeah totally well it's it's the difference between like intrinsic or extrinsic like there's a lot of people that get into magic for to get something like they view it as like a kind of easy way out and it's not at all well that's the, um, night, the cool thing about magic is that i got into it with that in mind but god i boy was i wrong and so it was actually like that was like the um the carrot you know mm-hmm. that pulled me through and um now i don't even really like do a lot of that kind of magic I'm doing a lot more um, not really results oriented, but living in the stream. And when I live in the stream, the stream brings what I need to me, you know? Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of people out there, especially on certain social media sites that never get past that carrot phase. <laughs> yeah. Like they think it's like, you know, oh, magic is for people who don't want to work hard or commit themselves to something. It's like, well, that's why I'm really into <laughs> fuck around, find out because um, those people just aren't doing enough magic. The more yeah. magic, I think, the more magic that they do, that the yeah, the the other It'll world will show itself. Yeah, for sure. And like sometimes that happens in like in ways that are not comfortable. You know what I mean? Like I didn't really get into protection magic until my house got broken into. Um, but that was like, like there is often a transgression that precipitates the lesson or the, the quest, you know? And, um, to me, that's been good. Um, so far. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, um, I think, uh, Reed Wildermuth was talking about this, but there's like this, you know, people will start doing magic and then like a spirit will show up and they'll flip out and go like <laughs> totally Christian, like totally like Orthodox Christian yes. or something like that. That's really interesting. And it's like you, yeah, I am. This is something, maybe this is like a whole nother podcast episode probably, but um, I think I like a lot of people have a really like mixed relationship with Christianity because I, I recognize its power. I recognize 
a really deep well of things. And at the same time, there is just, I just like cannot call myself a Christian because I'm like, there's a lot of stuff that's off about this. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think um, I just read a quote recently that was like, Christianity was certainly a benevolent incident, but there are so many things before it, uh, beyond it and after it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, and I, I've been talking about this a little bit, and I, I really think that as all of these old certainties break down, like as as it becomes very clear to everybody that we're not progressing into utopia, um, that something else is going to happen, and the world just gets weirder and weirder. I think a lot of people are going to seek shelter in Christianity, and yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily like a bad thing to do, but I, I think it's like a it is a seeking shelter. Like it is a um, finding a strong wall to be behind. And a lot of people probably need that, honestly, but it's not how I roll. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, me neither. I hope to see some weirder Christianities pop up though. Maybe that'll happen. You know, I want to see some, I hope an- so. I'm... some angel cults and stuff would be great. Not that that's really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm really hoping so. Like if there was a, there was a church that was like high ritual, like let me believe in reincarnation and was like kind of like okay with some of the stuff that I think I'd be like tempted to join. Yeah, like if there were actually like Gnostic churches anywhere but like LA. Yeah, and, like a couple other places. Um, I would I would probably check it out. I'm still not really a big into like I don't know. I'm kind of just over here doing my own thing, you know. Yeah, that, that kind of goes back to like kind of what our job is too. Like, I, I definitely think that there's a magician archetype, and I, I really think that it is some people's destiny. Uh, like, it very much feels that way for me. Like, I cannot not do this. And yeah. like, I think our job is to mediate the worlds, and it's to do it outside of those structures. Like, yeah. the job of you know telling people like the the five things you must think about the invisible is, is the job of a priest. Right. And there's, there's overlap. There's, it's not a, it's not a two separate circle Venn diagram, but. And I think it's like interesting I, too, because there's actually, there's kind of a, a real um, manifestation of that in that, like, I think for magicians, it's much more common for us to be members of multiple smaller groups Yep. Which is like mediating the worlds, like you're talking about, rather than being part of a monolith. That's actually totally me. <laughs> yeah, like, totally, man. That's the way to be. Yeah, yeah. We, we're we're governed by Hermes, by Mercury. We're we're the exchange. We're the the spaces between. <laughs> yes, which is also, I think, why angels and mag- magicians go so well together. You know, mm-hmm. they are also yeah. They kind of. I was I was saying this on the the Discord, but. Um, I kind of feel like a- angels got the boot out of most organized religion. Like Protestants won't talk about them at all. Like the mainline Protestants, um, Catholics probably not. Even if their church is called like Church of All Angels or something like that, like I doubt you'll hear them brought up. You know what's interesting um, though is that if you talk to people um, on a personal one on one smaller basis, like. I remember we would talk about them a lot. Like, and I was a Methodist, it's pretty mainline, um, pretty boring. And, um, but when we would get together in smaller groups or like Bible studies or like talking to people just one on one, 
everyone believes in angels. They all do. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, and they will love to talk about it, but it's just weird because you don't get it on an institutional level. Um, I can't recall angels ever being brought up in the Catholic church I was raised in. Really? I mean, maybe I was just too young, but I, I yeah. I mean, well, I, I wasn't a part of those like smaller groups. I mean, hasn't the Catholic but, uh, church like kind of even moved away from saints like in a lot of places? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody taught me how to do a novena. That would have been cool. Dude, right? That's a great tech. It's actually really interesting to me how, and like I said, this might be a whole nother podcast episode. I could probably do, I could probably talk for a couple hours on angels if you ever want to do that. I was going to say, well, I wanted, Um, yes, I do want to talk about angels with you and just come back whenever because like I, I love having regulars and uh, I think it's great because we just can continue the conversation, you know? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, a lot of people in the United States believe in angels. I think a lot of people in general, like 60 yeah, something like 60 to 70%, which is one of those things where it's like it's like they tried to push it out and it didn't quite work. Well, okay, so first they tried to to um they tried to like gank it. They co-opted it, right? So like angels were around before Christianity and then they were like, "Oh yeah, we're going to have this." And then mm-hmm. it was like, "Oh wait, no, that's too much." And then they pushed it out. Um that's an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, we'll look at that. Let's do that um, on a future yeah. one. Yeah, we got um, some good stuff. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, and I'm, I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on again, and uh, I always enjoy talking to you, and uh, we'll yeah, do same. it again here soon. Yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your evening. Do you experience weird shit? Do your parents not like to tell their friends about what you do in the woods? Do you make more friends in a graveyard than you do at a party populated by living humans? Do you have interactions with beings that are not strictly considered human? Do other people look at you like you're crazy when you mention talking to trees in casual conversation? If you fist pump or even just answered yes to any of these questions, you may be a nightbird. So let's sing together. If you'd like to come on the show and flap your gums with me, share your stories, or just talk about the malleable nature of reality for a while, then send me an email at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. That's tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. I'd love to have you on the show. But until then, I gotta fly. But before I go, let me say this. Remember, you are never alone. I believe you.